This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Parent training is an essential part of any treatment plan when working with children, adolescents, and young adults, as parents play an integral part of a child's life. Dr. Chisato Komatsu works together with parents to identify both long- and short-term treatment goals and provides tools and strategies to attain those goals. Once parents are equipped with behavioral strategies, they will be able to apply those strategies to new challenges that may arise in the future. The goal is to empower parents so that their children can thrive in their own environment and to support continuous growth of the children and family as a whole. Valeria interviews Dr. Chisato Komatsu. She is a licensed psychologist in the state of California, PSY 28666, and a board-certified behavior analyst at the doctoral level 1-08-4103. She received a PhD in school psychology program, APA accredited, from Louisiana State University, and a BA in psychology with university honors from University of Texas at Austin. Dr. Komatsu has over 18 years of experience studying and working in the field of applied behavior analysis, ABA. She has worked with children through adults and families in a variety of settings, including inpatient and outpatient clinic, home, school, general and special education classrooms, and organization settings. Dr. Komatsu has worked with varying diagnoses and challenges, including basic academic problems, developmental disabilities, autism spectrum disorders, obsessive-compulsive disorders, OCD, and other anxiety disorders. Dr. Komatsu has co-authored several journal articles, book chapters, conference presentations, and has served as a guest reviewer for the Journal of Behavioral Education. Dr. Komatsu's primary clinical interest is working with children, adolescents, and their families, utilizing the principles of ABA so they can identify the problem at hand, work to decrease challenging behaviors while increasing appropriate behaviors. The goal of my practice is for individuals and families to acquire skills and strategies to navigate challenges in their lives and reach their overall well-being. Dr. Komatsu is a fluent speaker of Japanese, and she delivers services in English and in Japanese. Meet Dr. Chisato at littlepineconsult.com. Here's the interview with Dr. Chisato Komatsu. In your own words, who is Chizato Komatsu? 
That is a good question. Um, let me think. So I um the first thing I can think of right now, I'm a mother. I am a Japanese immigrant to the United States, living in California. I'm a wife and a partner, and I am an educator. Um, and I like to see myself as wanting to contribute to the society by helping ones that are in need, specifically children and parents. Yeah. That's wonderful. The question that comes to me immediately is, do you feel a sense of purpose by doing what you do professionally, helping parents, or it just feels natural to you, like something that you can't help it but do it? That's interesting because that's both for me, right? So I do definitely feel the sense of purpose, especially based on what I studied and you know, university and graduate school, uh, which is psychology and applied behavior analysis. Um, so I do feel the sense of purpose in the sense that, you know, I've gained these knowledge that I do have the responsibility to use those skills and knowledge, right, and the training to help out others. But it also does come naturally. I've always been interested in um, helping out kids. So I moved to United States from Japan after high school. And at that point, you know, the purpose of intent to apply for university, I remember writing that I want to help kids in need. That's always been something that I've been interested in, even before any of the, you know, education and trainings. So it does really come naturally. And then, you know, lastly, just me myself becoming a parent as well, parenting is really, really hard. <laughs> I can it's imagine. a difficult and exhausting <laughs> job. Yeah. And, you know, I see myself included, right? You know, my friends and others, people that I know professionally, a lot of people do struggle in different levels and different dynamics. And I do want to, you know, if there is solution for that, right? It's I feel selfish not to share is where I come from professionally, if that makes sense. Right. It, it absolutely does. Yeah. It, in a way, it feels like uh, whatever we are doing now has kind of guided us to be doing this. Mm-hmm. Almost like we've been guided by those natural inclinations to do mm-hmm. what we do. It, I know some, some of us tend to think that we are choosing everything, every path, everything we do. But I don't know. I think that it's more subtle than that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree. Right? 100%, yeah. There's another open question that I want to ask you, Chisato, is what is your idea of mental health? What is to be mentally healthy from your perspective? Yes, for me, uh, to be mentally healthy is to, for yourself to know what you want where you want to be and have, you know, vague general idea as to how you get there, right? So oftentimes people just have no idea. They're just so overwhelmed with what's in front of them and just getting through the life day to day. 
And, but when they stop and think about what they want, where they want to go, they don't necessarily have a clue, right? So that is difficult, right? That's difficult then for that person to feel the fulfillment that I am happy or I'm fulfilled. I am working towards my goal. If you don't have that clear goal in front of you, right? So yeah, that that would be my definition. And once you have a clear goal where you want to be, whether that's, you know, for example, I want to travel as many, you know, to as many countries as possible, or I want to have a calm, you know, close relationship with my family. Once you have that, you then can sort of, you know, calculate backwards. So if to gain that goal, what do I need to do now? And what I may have to do a year from now. Right. Does that make sense? Yes, it really, really does. And that goes back to that sense of purpose. It's almost like tapping into those natural inclinations. It, knowing oneself, it's really knowing ourselves, uh-huh. uh, isn't uh-huh. it? Self-awareness, self-trust. It is the work of self-discovery, for sure, that yeah. is being done. It sounds very personal the way you say it, and I hear that a lot, even when it comes to purpose, that's very personal. Uh, When it comes to well-being, do you also see that this concept of well-being being being a personal one, or you could actually describe well-being in a way that we all can find almost like common threads in a sense that we can share, like what can be shared with all of us human beings when it comes to well-being? I guess that's the question. Interesting. Now, for, first off, I do think it's, you know, the definition of well-being can be very much personalized. Right. If that was part of your question. Yes. Right. Um, because, like I said, what you want, what you aim for in your life could be so different from one person to another. Right. But then I think, just like you said, going back to the you know point of having purpose, even though the purpose itself is different, just to have that. So one person might, like one person's purpose, just really simply, I want to be rich, right? Yeah. So that's one person's purpose. So then I don't mind. I am happily putting 60 hours a week of work. And I'm happy that, you know, I'm spending, not happy, but then I'm happily spending less time with my family because this is the goal that I have. And if that truly is that person's purpose and the goal, I think this person can truly be happy within herself or himself, Mm -hmm. right? And But then another person, if that person's purpose is to, like I said earlier, to have a very simple but calm and close relationship with the family, then their day-to-day decisions, including their career decision, would be different, right? They don't, they wouldn't want to work 60 hours a week or 70 hours a week to be able to have a very, you know, simple, close relationship with the family. But then again, these two people can be, can understand one another very well, respect one another's purposes and the lifestyle. And then still be able to share and support one another because they both have that 
purpose that they're each aiming for. Mm. Yes, that's very clear. It resonates true to me. And especially because it seems to me that we all are trying to get to the same space-led space, per se, called happiness and peace Mm -hmm. or a sense of fulfilling, the feeling of being fulfilled, complete. So that might come from those personal pursuits, right? That that makes Mm -hmm. a lot of sense. But in the end, the outcome, per se, is the same. It would be the same, right, Chisato? Right. Do you do you agree somehow with that? Yeah, the outcome would be the same or? Yeah, like the outcome of these personal pursuits would be happiness, a sense of peace and yeah. fulfillment for all of right. us. Seems like that's what we're looking right. for. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So that's what we all are aiming for. And then what defines happiness mm. is what I, you know, was referring to as purposes, right? Yeah. So what defines happiness can be so different from one person to another. But then the pursuit of happiness Mm -hmm. really is what we are here for, right? right? So, yeah, yeah, so in that sense, I think, yes, absolutely. The outcome or the, you know, they can, we can all share that pursuit of happiness. Yeah, it really, really does. Do you also think about, I usually think more in the sense of peace than happiness, I don't know. It seems like by being peaceful, then happiness arises. I don't need to be happy in order to be peaceful. But in order to be happy, it seems like I have to have this foundation Mm -hmm. of peace. It really feels that way. Mm -hmm. Do you feel Mm -hmm. the same way somehow? No, I never actually thought about it that way. But it does make perfect sense. And you want to be with peace with yourself. Yes. Right? Right. Yeah. And that, yeah, because... um, it does make sense that it it doesn't. You do have to have the peace within yourself to be able to fulf, you know, fulfill yourself and then feel that happiness. Yes. And then vice versa might not always be true. But right. yeah, right. absolutely. That's what it comes from me over and over again. Every time I think about happiness, or even joy, mm-hmm. peace comes first, and that's from that sense of fulfillment. But it's not really attached to anything that I do. But what I do seems to be in alignment with that sense of peace, which is already that part of me that's already complete, it's, it's quiet. It doesn't need anything to be, to be what it is. So it's more than a spiritual sense, too. I have lots of spiritual practices and understandings, yeah. too. So I guess that's what these ideas come from, putting them in, into words. It's really hard to explain these things, but that's how it comes up for me. So, okay, this is a way to tap into what you do really straight up. What is to be a good parent? I know this is a, it's not a simple question. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a very loaded question. Yes. I mean, yes. Be a good parent. Look, I'm searching for that myself. I've been yes. a parent of, a, I have two daughters, nine-year-old and seven-year-old. Yes. And, and I cause, even though it is my profession, to consult with parents, right? So I give parents advice and strategies as to how to make their daily life with kids more smoothly, with less frustration, uh, with more calm. That is what I do. Yet I do have struggling moments myself. I'm always in search of how can I be a better parent? And then when I think of that for myself, 
like to be a better parent is to, you know, of course, care for your children, but then give that space, give that trust and space for kids to be independent and to grow on their own. So one thing that, you know, my kids are still, you know, very young, but one thing that I know that I need to work on myself is to let, allow them to let them fail, right? Because as parents, many of us, you know, we try to protect our kids from harm, of course, but then also failure, right? We don't want them to fail, So we take extra steps so that they don't have to fail. But then I need to, you know, think about that for myself and see, like, you know, failing, I'm sure you've experienced some and I've experienced a ton, is what's needed for us to grow, right? It's extremely important. And from failure, we can you know, grow, but then we can also be compassionate for others, you know, who are in the similar spot as where you are or who are struggling with whatever reason. So for my own experience, I very much understand that the failures that I've experienced was extremely important. Yet, as a parent, it's difficult. To let your children struggle, right? Like they for them to fail. So I think that for me personally, then this is, you know, independent from my professional, like, you know, what I've my trainings are. But it for me as a goal of being a good parent is to, of course, you know, care for them, listen to them, guide them, but with the courage to be able to let them fail. That would be my definition. Yes. Wow. That's a profound one. So I even love the word courage that you used there. Mm-hmm. So having the courage to let them develop themselves, get to know themselves. Right. Exactly. That's really powerful. It's so important. It's true about failure. I love the, what you said too about compassion. So being able to make mistakes and being compassionate with ourselves, like accepting that's okay to make mistakes. Why not? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that, it seems like to me that that has been one of the biggest reasons why people develop some mental health issues. It's the self-criticism. Uh, there's lack of self-acceptance. So it's wonderful that people like yourself can teach you your own kids from very early on to accept themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. however they are behaving, whatever is happening. Of course, I'm not a parent, so I have no idea what that mm-hmm. is like. You do. But, um, wow. Well, what I'm a- trying, right? I, I'm not, yeah. <laughs> I haven't mastered that at all by no means. Uh, but yeah, I'm at least trying to get there. Yeah, how wonderful. There's, I'm just trying to imagine here the experience of just seeing a life develop and not trying to to control the, all, every step and trying to make mm-hmm, another human right. being to be like you and all that. I see beauty in that. And of course, I see unconditional love too, which is so mm-hmm, powerful. Mm-hmm. I was reading about all this before too, your blogs and also some... Oh, uh, thank you. It's fascinating because 
I see, I talk to a lot of people and I see them, all the issues we have had, like myself, I had had as a child and then how mm. hard it was for myself and so many of us. And then, it, but then I, I, I keep thinking, ah, what can we do as parents? Like if I was a parent, what I, would I mm. teach my kids? And then the unconditional mm-hmm. love came to me immediately, this idea, this mm-hmm. concept. I know you don't talk about that. You didn't mention anything about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But talk to me for a moment about what would that look like, Chizato, to unconditionally love a child or, or a person, but specifically your own children. What would that look like? Right. I mean, I think to a certain degree, we all have that as parents. And unconditional love to me is just, you're there regardless, right? Um, you know, there, of course, you even, you know, parent and child, you are two separate human beings. So there will be conflicts, there will be misunderstandings. And there will be challenges between that relationship, but no matter how mad you are, how you know how you cannot understand the other person, you know your child or your parent, you will still be there, and you will still wish and hope the best for them, and then do what you can. For them to get there is for me is is unconditional love yes yes the relationship is not going to end no matter how good or bad it is and just to always have that person in mind and you know just to come back to the same place regardless of what happened to me is unconditional love. Yeah. It sounds very much like it. Um, that's how I, when I think, I have a dog and a husband. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. when I think about, I, actually, I see my husband as a child. So I can say that I have a son. <laughs> because, you know, sometimes adults, they act like children in a sense of behavior. So you have to be <laughs> a mother too. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you look at the other person and then Automatic, you want the best for them. You do want their well-being, right? Even though they're not behaving in the way that I want to, or that we want to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that sounds to me like it would be part of this idea of unconditional love. But I do mm-hmm. also see that more and more, whatever it is that we are trying to teach, it has to be something that we are doing ourselves. So mm-hmm. it's important to, like in my case, my husband, I remember when we married and I started getting to know him better. I noticed that every time I made a mistake, like I dropped something on the floor, whatever it was, he mm-hmm. would become very upset and kind of distance himself from me, like physically. And I could mm-hmm. see almost his anger. And, and then he would just leave the room. He couldn't even stand the idea that okay. I made a mistake. So that was a reflection to me that he never embraced himself fully in a sense of making mistakes or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. He was just a little bit detached in that sense. A little bit is really mm-hmm. not the, the word. I think it was a lot at that time. So I noticed that the more I did that, I was not on purpose, but when I made a mistake in front of him, I would tell him, it's okay. It's almost like um, to myself, I'm telling to myself, ah, it's okay. You know, to, I would just mm-hmm. clean it up really quick mm-hmm. and Ah, uh, okay. This is how life is, and I would just laugh. Uh-huh. That's what I usually do. Uh-huh. I never, I'm never harsh uh-huh. with myself. 
Mm-hmm. So I notice now that he's much better when I drop something, some, when he makes a mistake, then I see that he's much more calm and accepting of the situation and he stays present. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. I know. So I, I think that's what, where I'm learning that it seems like it's by, which I have heard that's with parenting too, it's with um, being in the role model. That's how kids mm-hmm. really learn. They mimic our behaviors. Does it make sense? That is that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, even within my work, uh, what I, you know, advise to my clients is just be the model, right? Like you prompt them through modeling, showing them how you do things, you know, little things as putting your dishes away or, you know, put your clothes on, you know, as little things as, again, like, you know, being helpful to other people uh, to show compassion and just from any skills um, you can show them through modeling. So that's a wonderful strategy. Yes, right. That's one that really makes sense to me. I mean, I have been talking to my husband about adopting a child or two. Huh? Not now, I'm 46, so I have, we have to wait a little bit more. So I was rehearsing that if somebody asked me, why would you adopt a child? That would be my answer because I would love them to learn how to unconditionally love themselves. And then if they ask, how would you do that? How would you teach that? Then by modeling, by being the, the, the yeah. role model to them, because yeah. Yeah. that's what I'm practicing right now to unconditionally mm-hmm. love myself. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's what it seems like it's missing. A lot of times when I talk to mental health practitioners and psychologists, mm-hmm. psychiatrists, and I always ask that question, what is to be mentally healthy that I asked you today? And Mm -hmm. then we carry on the conversation. In the end, it's all about the self-acceptance. They always go back to Mm -hmm. that. And they say, if we were all unconditionally loved, then the world would be a different place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it seems like this acceptance, right? It's it's missing. I don't know. Do you see that as actually a fact, something that, that happens within your own family and then with your clients, this lack of self-acceptance. No, you know, myself included, just to be able to fully accept yourself and have that, like you said, unconditional love for myself is a challenge, right? Oh, um, yes. <laughs> it is very yes. hard not to be critical of yourself, right? And I see that, you know, in my work as well, that you know, parents, again, it's a difficult job. Uh, they have certain challenges, but with certain things that they said or certain things that they've done, they then become so self-critical of themselves and they, you know, submerge themselves in the regret. And then, you know, it's that cycle of, you know, not regretting what they said or that, that they've done. And they feel down and then, you know, they get frustrated and then they say those things again. That makes sense. So it's just, we're all so self, you know, critical of ourselves, parents included. And then if we can be more compassionate to ourselves, mm-hmm. right, that makes everything so much easier for everyone. So, you know, what I've hardened and what I do you know, preach to my clients too, is that when you self-talk yourself, 
there are certain things that you say to yourself, like, why did you say that you're such a, you know, harsh mother or whatever? But then if your best friend were to consult with you with what she's done to her, what she said to her child and she's regretting, you'll never say that to your best friend, right? But then when it comes to ourselves, we can't say those nice things that you would say to your best friend Mm, to us. Does that make sense? Yes. So it's easy to be self-critical. So I think to, you know, for us to be able to stop for a moment before we criticize ourselves and say, what would my friend say to me in this situation? Is that same or different from what I normally say to myself? Right. And then just stop and think, you know, from that moment would be that itself I think could help yes very much self-compassion yeah and you mentioned uh, that word before you did say that even before the this topic about self-acceptance unconditional love you mentioned being compassionate and that's Mm. exactly it this is a guided question one of the questions I call them guided questions the questions that my guest sends to me so one of them is the kids behaviors change. I like going to the, um, almost like the root of things. So when it comes to behaviors, where does it come from? Where do behaviors come from? That's really my question. Are they rooted in belief systems? Are they biological? Do you look for the, for the cause of behaviors or you try to address the behavior itself? Yes, absolutely. That's a great question. So, you know, in my professional, um, expertise applied behavior analysis, we do try to look into the why, right? The cause of the behavior. So the behavior could be, you know, a challenging behavior, like, you know, I mentioned um, throwing a tantrum or crying, screaming, hitting, whatever that may be. And then also more, you know, appropriate behaviors like sitting at the table um, through mealtime or getting, you know, being kind to one another. All those could have um, the cause, or in in our profession, we call function, as to why the child or individual is engaging in that behavior, right? So, for example, if, you know, the child is hitting mom while she's on the phone constantly, and we do certain analysis to decide why she's hitting the mom. And then the possible reason could be, you know, to gain attention, right? So that you can gain attention from mom. Or maybe she doesn't want to be in that room anymore. Maybe it's at a hospital and mom is talking on the phone and then the child doesn't want to be at the hospital. Or maybe the child uh, needs to go to the bathroom or maybe she wants something. Right. So we try to see the patterns of behavior and identify why is he or she engaging in this behavior. And then once you understand and there's more, you know, complicated process to identify that function or the reasons. But then once you identify the cause, then you can, you know, try to change that behavior, meaning, you know, develop an intervention for that behavior based on the cause. Does that make sense? Yes. So then if the behavior is 
to gain attention from you. What you do is you no longer provide attention when the child is hitting you, but you instead provide lots of you know, high quality attention when the child is speaking to you nicely or when she's sitting nicely with you, you know, playing with you or engaging in any appropriate behavior. So you redirect your attention to something that she's doing that are really good and then no longer, so, so that hitting to gain attention no longer serves as their communication skills, if that makes sense. Oh, wow. That's so, very so much. We, understand, <laughs> we see these challenging behaviors as means of communications that kids have developed through the history of their short lives. And then our job is to undo that. So to, you know, let them know um, through interventions and actions that look the hitting to gain what you want no longer is effective, but you can get attention from all these other behaviors that are more appropriate and that are more functional. Yeah. So that's what we do in our line of work. Yeah, it's it's really beautiful though. That sounds very much like a, a very caring and gentle way to guide children to mm-hmm. not just to do what we want them to do, but become, let's say, more, it's almost balanced human beings in the sense of almost balancing yeah. themselves, finding mm-hmm. out that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because they don't know these things. Wow. So the tantrumen, <laughs> tantrumen, mm-hmm. you, use, you call it, is that also considered a, a behavior to look for the root cause as you have described? Mm-hmm. Or this is almost yeah. like a dis functional kind of, yeah, I'm just wondering if this is almost getting into that borderline, not mental health necessarily as a pathology, but how do you learn to identify the difference between when a child is actually autistic sometimes? Oh, yeah, because that could be neurodiversity. Really, it's a a real thing. Mm -hmm. We are different. How do you recognize uh, the difference between neurodivergent children and just a behavioral issue? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, when we see, you know, kids having challenges, engaging in challenging behaviors, we do take that approach that I just described to see if the um, if we can identify the root cause, right? Yeah. And then develop intervention that is effective and appropriate for that root cause to diagnose someone with um, autism or ASD, autism spectrum disorders, there is a very thorough diagnostic process that you go through and that that will identify um, whether kids um, have ASD or not. But then there are different signs, right? Like if that's you know, obviously the experts, the professionals are the ones who does the diagnosis. But um, as parents or people who are close to a specific child, you know, wondering if the, he or she may have um, ASD, then it just it's also the patterns of behaviors, right? So then, um, 
if you notice certain like those severe tantrums, for example, and then those are happening very frequently, that could be one sign. If they have, you know, a very difficult time communicating um, or if they have, you know, repetitive behaviors like rocking or, you know, um, clapping their hands in front of them, for example, right, those repetitive behaviors and habits. Those are different signs that you can notice as a parent or, you know, someone close to the child. And you can always first go to the pediatrician. And the pediatrician will be able to tell you where to go to get the diagnosis. And then if you are in doubt, I do say that, you know, go ahead and get the evaluation, right? And then with that, if you get the, whether you have the diagnosis or not, going back to the identifying the root cause um, and developing the intervention for that. So going back to that attention and the hitting example. What we do, whether the individual has autism or not, it's still the same. Mm-hmm. It's really the pattern, you know, the rules of behaviors still apply to all individuals. Uh, okay. So whether you have um, autism diagnosis or not, our intervention actually doesn't change at all. Right. right. But then maybe we will, with the insurance coverage and, you know, that becomes more complicated, but then um, if you do have the diagnosis, you qualify for, you know, more services and more intensive services and that are recommended for ones with ASD. But then when you look at individual behaviors and how you address those, you do same exact thing as you would um, neurotypical kids or neurodiverse kids. Yes. So it doesn't change the, the approach. It doesn't change. The intervention yeah. the approach itself do not change. Yeah, that's good to know. That's very informative. Another question is, yeah, the, the guided questions, they are part of that section, is not becoming frustrated or irritated when our children are doing, behaving in inappropriate mm-hmm. ways. So how, yeah, I would love to hear more about that, Chisaka. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. That's, it sounds that's like hard. it. <laughs> hardest part as being (laughs) a parent is to stay calm (laughs) and keep your cool (laughs) when kids aren't doing what you want them to do right I mean simple as that that's frustrating and then not to show that frustration or not to act on that frustration towards kids is probably is one of the biggest challenges as parents so it is really so that when it comes to that so these strategies that i just explained is one thing so even if you know what to do in your head you get really hot you get emotional and then you know all these strategies and tricks that provide them go out the window and then that's really typical right yeah so when it comes to that i then work with parents on really um, independent of their kids, just work on maintaining their balance and calm. What keeps them their balance, right? So that's just as important. You're a parent, you have, you know, um, kids that require so much work and attention from you, but then that doesn't mean that you can just let go 
of what keeps your balance. Because if you have a little space for patience, then it's not helping. It's it's helping no one, right? So for me, my personal example is I love to exercise and I love to swim. So I make sure I go swimming twice a week and I exercise two or three additional days per week with other things. And that is something that I've created within my family as mommy's time and mommy's priority. I mean, of course, the kids are the priority, but when I have my workout time or exercise time, that's protected by all my family members. And then they all respect that. Uh, right. Wonderful. So yeah. when I'm on my elliptical, my girls don't, you know, ask for my attention because they know this is the time that's for mommy. And it sounds, it may sound selfish to some people, but it really isn't. For you to protect your own balance and sanity is you looking out for your family in the end, right? Because you want to be that patient, calm, fulfilled individual to be able to face your family and your children with that patience and your and that calm. So it's really easy for parents to let go of what they used to love before children. It doesn't have to be exercise at all. It could be gardening. It could be reading, listening to music, going to see a play. If those are the things that you really love and talk to your partner or talk to people you know, around you that support you, you and your children to maintain that, to let you continue to have that me time and that time for yourself if you don't have that if you're always exhausted and on edge it is that much easier to lose yourself in front of kids and lose your patience so you know all these parenting strategies that I preach during work is one thing but it is just as important for you to maintain your own balance and peace going back to our initial topic yes what a beautiful suggestion yes that caught my attention immediately in one of your blog posts titled parents yes. you are doing a uh-huh. great job <laughs> i loved i love that blog post and i have it here in front of me i made some notes and all and you just mentioned exactly that that's the message right because we can't really give if we don't have. We need, exactly. right? Yep. It's impossible. Mm-hmm. So what a beautiful, beautiful suggestion. And, and it's not even a strategy. It's really, to me, common sense, isn't it, Chisato? That's mm-hmm. what like, comes to me. It's like, of course, we need to take care of ourselves. And going back to being role models, too. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. kids will mimic that and at some point, and then they will, oh, they will see that we were able to set, set boundaries, were able to, we're happy. That's, that's really what, what we're all looking for anyway, the happiness and mm-hmm. peace and all that. Mm-hmm. And, that, you know, that, what comes to mind is that one of the uh, 
a, the guest that I have here that actually became a friend um, of, of my husband and I. He came to visit with his wife and kids. It was really beautiful. And he, he said something. He's a therapist. He said that here, that his son, he, he tried so hard to make his son happy, to kind of mm-hmm. show love to him. Mm-hmm. That in the end, his son even picked that up, that he was trying too hard. And then at some point, mm-hmm. he came and said, you know, uh, maybe it would help if you were making yourself happy instead of trying to make wow. me happy. Yeah, it changed his life. <laughs> it changed his life. He wrote a whole book about it. He just became like an advocate to this message yeah. of self-care and self-compassion. And now here you go saying the same message in a way, which is really <laughs> wonderful. Thank you, Chisato, for that. Of course. Because we need to hear that. We need to be reminded mm-hmm. that too. Uh, we tend to forget these things for some reason. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we're almost at the end and I do have lots of other notes here. Let me see. There's another one. Yeah. The blog post on your website that reads, uh-huh. the title is Do's and Don'ts When Kicking, oh, yeah, Screaming, yeah. and Tantrum Begins. So. You mentioned one that caught my attention is the number three one, say, do reward and don't bribe. So I know you mentioned the the strategies before, you described everything um, and how to do it. But what is the difference between rewarding and bribing? Yeah, that's my main question. Yeah, yeah. No, that's great because I get that all the time. (laughs) I can imagine. Right. So when I suggest to parents that, you know, let's set up a reward or reinforcement system. So that when they engage or when they do something that they're supposed to, or that's appropriate, you reinforce them, right? When I make that suggestion, some parents say, oh, so you want me to bribe them. But there, there is a distinct difference between the two. So reinforcement is what, like I said, you set up that role, the, what we call contingency, right? You do A and then you gain this. And then you have that system beforehand so kids are going into the park for example going into school knowing that role knowing that role and then understanding that if I do this this is what I can earn that's reinforcement bribing on the other hand is you go in it could there could be a role or not but then you create the role once the child engages in challenging behavior. So for example, at Target, right? Like we all know where Target is. You go to Target and the child wants a toy, right? In a toy aisle. And they said, no, we're not getting any toy today. And you, uh, the child throws a tantrum. He's on the floor, crying, screaming. Everyone is looking at you. You're all embarrassed. <laughs> people might even make comments about your parenting. Mm-hmm. And then he is on, you know, throwing this full-on tantrum. You then offer to the child that, okay, okay, if you stop crying, I'll get you ice cream on the way out. Uh-huh. Does that make sense? So, like, you set uh-huh. the rule once the challenging behavior happens, and that becomes a bribe. Yes. Ah, right. So that's then clear. it's different from reward system. Reward system, there's absolutely nothing wrong with reward system. Like we all do work for something, right? Whether that's, that's something within ourselves or something that's from external, 
there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And then I'm not saying to, you know, give them big reward or toys for every little things that they do. There's also a fade out system that will be in place and all of that. But then to get a new behavior happen, it is absolutely okay to set the reward system. But then bribe, on the other hand, is to set those, you know, immediate rules in the midst of mm-hmm. challenging behavior. So then in a in a sense, the child is not learning, right? Child did not learn at Target that, okay, if I cry, I'll get something. Mm, yeah, it's learning something right? very different. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so what you learn from the reward system and bribe system are very two different things. Wow. Does it have to do with setting boundaries? Is that, is that under that umbrella? Yeah. Or it yeah, is, absolutely. Right? So setting boundaries would be to set those roles, right? And then in that case, in the bribe scenario at Target, you wouldn't get, it is embarrassing. It is harmful to hear someone commenting about your parenting style. But then the best scenario then would be to let your child cry as much as he needs to in fit of target. But you still, you can wait out till he's come in target or you can just escort him out gently. <laughs> yes, first, yes, right? yes. He's in the middle of, you know, crying and screaming. Yes. But then you don't necessarily, you don't have to scold him either. But then what you need to make sure is that he doesn't get that toy or any other toys or ice cream. From that episode of crying. That, does that make sense? So that's what we're teaching. You know, you're not that that's what goes back to, you know, kids using those different behaviors as their communication tools. Right. So if they are throwing a tantrum, screaming and kicking, and then if they do as a result of it, get what they want or get the attention that they're seeking for, whatever that may be. Then that becomes the communication means for them. Okay, if I do this, this is how I get mommy's attention. If I do screaming target, this is how I get my toy, right? So then our job is to undo that. So you no longer get toy or no longer get attention by screaming or hitting and, you know, kicking. But you can get the toy or you can get the attention by engaging in other behaviors. And that's where that reward system comes in place. So that boundary absolutely is um, important. Yeah. Wow. That's very clear to me. It, of course, makes total sense. Are those behaviors actually natural? It's normal for kids to act like this? Always screaming and it is, right? Just yeah, to... absolutely. I mean, there's nothing wrong. Kids do try yeah. all kinds of things. Right? <laughs> okay. But then yeah. it gets, you know, more reinforced. So it gets more rewarded if they do get rewarded. Uh-huh. So, you know, this ta- target example, if he screams and kicks and then he gets the toy, guess what he'll do next time when we go to target, right? He's going to repeat that because that behavior just got rewarded last time. Yes. It worked. Right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And so, that also goes for then, crying, right? Is that when they're yeah, very no, little? Absolutely. Yeah. All behaviors. Uh-huh. So, you know, kids all have that to a certain degree, but then it's the history of how those behaviors being rewarded or not can determine 
how they're going to be, you know, how their behavior will be in the future. Yes, always adults, right? Because even in the relationship, right? Yes, we see some adults acting like children. (laughs) That's for sure. (laughs) Right, absolutely. And if that, if they get their way, whatever they were seeking for with that behavior, then that behavior will be strengthened. That behavior will be rewarded. And then more likely to be repeated Mm. is the, yeah. That will be will be much harder to to correct that as an adult. It's not exactly. as easy. It's stronger and more persistent. Right. Wow. That's amazing. Human behavior. How complex it seems. Like very predictable in a way. Like it's almost right what we can expect, but it can cause a lot of unnecessary suffering. And I have seen that within myself and my family members and people around me. It's by repeating those behaviors. And not being aware of them, which is really, uh, it's sad when they are not aware. <laughs> right. Especially adults, it's hard for them to repeat that they've created this pattern yes. throughout the history of, you know, the environment. Right. Oh. And then we're almost at the end. And I do have another question here for you. Yes. Of the guided questions. How do we improve my daily interactions and relationship with my children? So that's a good question too. Yeah, I would love to hear from you. What is your advice and suggestion when it comes to interactions? Oh, I think, you know, I think it's a great question as being the last question because we talked, you know, about a lot of that. But then I think um, having clear expectations and boundaries, and I don't mean this in a harsh way by any means, right? But then just have the certain rules, right? Within the household or within the parent and child. And then uh, for both of them to be able to respect that and then for parents to be able to teach that rules through rewarding again, right? Um, And then also create that space and time to be able to talk to one another, Mm. which sounds so extremely simple. But then our lives are so busy nowadays that it's hard to, you know, stop and then think for a moment or check in with one another, especially from parent to child, right? To see how they're doing, if they have anything to say, right? And then how they're doing. Um, and and in this, this is independent from, you know, um, my line of work, but I think just for parent to be vulnerable, is something that I've, you know, noticed that is very important, right? As as parents, I don't know you growing up in Brazil. I don't know how your, you know, parents raised you, but then at least in Japan, parents of um, generation of my parents, they weren't vulnerable, right? Like we all listened to our parents because they were the parents. Right. They were older, you know. They're more respectable and I grew grew up you know just not even doubting that there was any fault in them right and then they never really show their vulnerability they never really talk to me about this is what I struggled or what I'm still struggling and then I'm still learning and I'm still trying to get better at I never had that conversation with my parents but then I had 
wonderful parents that I grew up in a very loving household. But that just wasn't a piece that existed, right, with our parents' generation. But then the times are very different. And then us in our age, I think it's extremely important, just like how you said, you know, again, going back to being a role model for your kids or your husband, you know, just <laughs> yes. to be vulnerable and then let them know that we're not perfect. We're still working towards something. These are still the challenges that I mm. struggle with mm. and it, it's okay. Right. Right. And then that connects with, you know, failing too. Like I felt, I do tell my kids, I mean, they are still young, but I do tell my kids that I failed many times. Uh Right. But then this is how I came out of it. Or also this is how I got help from other people. Right. So you're not alone. You are being helped by so many people being supported by so many people. So to have that vulnerability, to be able to share that vulnerability with your kids will allow for so much more different types of communication and conversation that we never had with our parents. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important for our kids to see so that they understand that, oh, okay, it's okay that I'm not perfect, right? And it's okay that I'm, you know, making mistakes, but then mistakes are only to make myself better. Right. So I think that emotional, you know, um, the mental health and the emotional health, that piece is so important yes. for you to have a good parent and child relationship. Yes. Oh, gosh. Yes. Um, how many is, can I say, a thousand of them <laughs> to the to the beautiful, insightful, common statements that you're making. Yes, deeper connection. We're all humans here. And yes, about mental health, that's something that a lot of times we just tried so hard to fulfill a role of authority that we forget that we are humans. Mm-hmm. And we are yep. also vulnerable, right? So, so much mm-hmm. it's, can happen and the mind's constantly mm-hmm. changing. So that's another beautiful, beautiful advice message i actually see it as a message for all of us human beings mm-hmm. thank you so much Suzanne, of course, for, of course. for your wisdom what's not to love about it oh there's another oh gosh i have too many notes <laughs> one more one more topic that caught my attention it's another blog post of yours that's it's titled how to help your child overcome fear of needles and in the time of COVID-19 vaccination rollout. So, but the question that came to me was, I mean, the inspiration was, how do we help children with fear in general? And what fears are considered healthy and what fears are not considered healthy? Mm, That's very interesting. So I think we all have fears, right? And then that's okay. That's very much natural. But then I think what becomes a challenge is that fear starts to consume your day-to-day life, right? Meaning because of you fearing something, your child or your you know partner fearing something, uh, they can no longer go to work. They can no longer go to school or uh 
to be able to play with their peers. And then that's when there may be some intervention that may be needed, if that is uh, your question. So, you know, fear is what, like evolutionally speaking, fear is something that protects us, right? We need to have that sense of fear to understand if something dangerous is around mm-hmm. us. Yeah. So we yeah. don't want to get rid of fear completely. Right. So it is, it's definitely a healthy emotion to have. But then with that, if that consumes too much to start to limit your life for you to carry on your life, yeah. that's when it becomes challenging yes. that you will have to address it. Yeah, I like the way you say that too. Yeah, not really necessarily unhealthy, but challenging. Right. Yes. Right. right. So my last question was something that you um, allured to briefly about the given the example of the child in a target screaming and all that and then you squirt him outside not violently of course you can so that's my question when it comes to spanking i think that's what they call it around here is there something that's appropriate or it's something that you would um, immediately advise your clients not to do i advise my clients not to do yeah right so with what I explain, I mean, I just explain very, very just the surface yeah. Yeah. of what I do, but there is no physical punishment or, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. reprimanding necessary when you appropriately practice the approach that I explain. So I hear from, you know, many people that, well, what about the consequence? The kids need to experience the consequence for, you know, crying in middle of target or hitting their sibling or whatever that may be. But then the consequence, again, for target example, the consequence is that he does not get the toy that he wants, right? So that is enough of the consequence. You need to let go of the fact that he embarrassed me in middle of the middle of target. You can have that talk when him and you are both calm, but then there's no need for them to add physical punishment, right? The uh, spanking to gain. I'm I'm not exactly sure that what does that gain. I mean, instill fear, right? Like that. That's one thing. But then then it goes back to. You listen to me because I'm your parent. It all goes back to that. Otherwise, right? Otherwise, you're going to feel this pain. That's not how we want to teach. We want to teach through the experience, meaning, you know, the crying and hitting that's not going to lead to what you're seeking for. But then these behaviors can. And that itself can turn the behaviors around. So there is no, it's not only that you, I don't recommend spanking by any means. I do advise the you know parents to stop that, but then there really isn't any need. There is no space for that. If you can, you know, uh, practice the approach uh, correctly and in appropriate manner. Yes, that's, I love that, yeah. Thank you for that message too, <laughs> because in my case, it was a lot of violence, really. Mm-hmm. And I learned later on that that was the way that my mother was 
educated, mm-hmm. raised exactly right. that way. So right. they didn't know really. And then you're just passing right. on what they have learned. And, mm-hmm. and that caused a lot of trauma. And see, I remember, uh, yeah, it was just, I wrote a whole book about it <laughs> uh, yeah, to heal myself. So mm-hmm. thank you so much for, uh, for everything, Gisato. What a of wonderful course, my conversation. Pleasure. Thank you. So before we say goodbye for today, is there anything that you left unsaid? Any questions I didn't ask or anything that you'd like to add? I think you really did cover so much. I mean, thank you so much for reading all my blogs really thoroughly. You know, like you pinpointed like many details that are on my post. So I truly do appreciate. But then again, you know, like I do really want to stress for parents and for all, you know, listeners just to maintain your balance, how important that is. And just to have the self-compassion and do what you love. Don't let go of what you used to love, right? So I think that is of all advice and strategies that I can share for parenting. I think that would be really number one advice. Wow. And I wholeheartedly agree with that. Yes. Beautiful message. Thank you so much again. And before we say goodbye for today, where's the best place to find more information about you, Sato? Um, it, my website would be great. It's littlepineconsult.com. Yes. So, yeah. Um, and you can reach me uh, through email, uh, through my website. So my website would be a great place to find me. Wonderful. I'll have the link on your podcast profile. Okay, wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much again for your presence and we'll talk soon. Bye for now. Of course. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Dr. Chisato Komatsu and her work, please visit littlepineconsult.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.